remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where philosophers can be found in the most unlikely of places, in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 78, which begins with Max and the kids retreating back into the ventilation shaft, and it ends with that same group sliding down a feed chute. Wrapping up the week with us are Professor Christy Porter and Jerry Porter of the Indiana Jones Minute. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hello, hello. It's so great that you were able to join us this entire week. It's so much more than what we've had in the past. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It is. Love these movies. So as we come into minute 78, there is still some gunfire happening, but it eventually ends. And once it does, Max and the kids are able to scurry further back into the pipe. As the Nemoidians in The Phantom Menace said, they've gone into the ventilation shafts. <laughs> and by the time Iron Bar pops his head into view, they are long gone. You know, I wondered about the bullets ricocheting around that uh, ventilation shaft. Mm -hmm. Made me very nervous, you know? When Iron Bar goes up there and shoots, and, and I, I, I just wondered, God, wouldn't they ricochet all throughout the, the pipe? Well, yeah, you said uh, you were nervous about the punch in the last minute. I was <laughs> yeah. very nervous about all those bullets flying everywhere. They, I mean, it's just dangerous. Yeah, I'd say it's sheer dumb luck that none of the kids were hurt in the context of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's kids around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is a great shot, though, at the beginning of the minute is you, you see the uh, you see Iron Bar's kabuki mask first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come up through the uh the, the you know the the grating it's like some strange bird <laughs> yeah it's really it, pretty amazing it's a shame that he doesn't have some sort of periscope rigged up where he's got a little <laughs> eyepiece he can flip down in front of his face and see through the mask that'd be useful that'd be very interesting we know they have that type of technology ridiculous periscope technology yes <laughs> that's right yeah if, if you Good point you know if if the periscope goes down like in this case like you know uh Tina Turner, Auntie uses the periscope to look on, I guess it's sort of the underworld. Is it still called a periscope? What would you like to call it, Jer? I don't know. Like, usually that stuff, you know, we had like, remember we had anterior teats? Uh, yeah. You know, so that it sort of assumes, I don't know, maybe a posterior teat or something. <laughs> sure. Know, a periscope. Sure. If a periscope goes down, is it still a periscope? Like an anterior scope? Yes, I think so, because if I remember my medical terminology correctly, peri means... Around. Yeah, around, like all around. Hmm. And scope means something you look through. So like a perimeter is something that is encompassing the outside of a thing. A periscope is a thing that lets you see all around. All around. So I think that that applies down as well as up. All around. We just traditionally see it as going up like a submarine. Right. Sure. Exactly. Okay. So there you go, Jer. Yep. It counts. 
All right. It still doesn't explain how Auntie is able to be in her penthouse and see directly into Underworld, even though there are no solid pipes going from the bottom of Auntie's penthouse, <laughs> and there are no mirrors in the bottom of the periscope. <laughs> Good, yeah, that's true. That yeah, I don't is think true. that holds up to scrutiny there. Certainly does not. <laughs> don't ask those questions. Not everything can survive a movie-by-minute treatment, and the Periscope is one of those (laughs) things that do not. (laughs) So Iron Bar is obviously disappointed that he did all of this shooting, and he looks into the pipe, and it's completely empty. And so he jumps down from that position, and he is in a huff, and he does something just awful. He starts walking, and he kicks one of the pigs aside. We don't actually see the kick connects. He just kind of makes the movement of a kick, and then you hear the sound effect of a pig squealing. Oh. And that is just mean. It is. Yeah. I'm worried about these pigs. Yeah. I don't think this environment is very healthy for them. Oh, you're right. Well, neither did the city of Sydney. No. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly why we were not shown him kicking a pig. Right. Good. Well, and I mean, you're you're going to imprison a guy for life for killing a pig. I mean, what are you going to do for a guy who's kicking a pig? You'd probably get, you know, five to ten years. Or at least a couple of good lashes. Have to change your name to Pig Kicker. <laughs> pig Kicker. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'd still brand him with the words Pig Kicker, but it wouldn't be quite as prominent. It'd be in a more subtle area. Smaller font. Exactly. <laughs> it's so mean, and you don't have to be mean. You just don't. No, I think they put that in there as sort of character development. Yeah, just to hammer home. Iron Bar is not a good dude. No. Don't be totally on his side. Totally on the pig's side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just cogs in this big old machine. We get a shot. It's, uh, you know, about a third of the way through the minute. Of the 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 spooned uh, eye patch gentleman on the ground who took the the shovel to the face, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a nice little dollop of red around one nostril. Nice touch. And I think that that's um I think that that's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I I'm not sure that's accurate with a a, a shovel to the face. No. But um it is PG-13. PG-13, yeah. Maybe when Pig Killer swung that shovel at the eye patch guard, maybe instead of hitting him full force in the face, it more just surprised the guard mm. to the point that He got the vapors and just passed out. (laughs) Like the fainting goats. The shock overwhelmed his delicate sensibilities, and he just... I think he connected. <laughs> he could be fully, fully conscious, and he'd be like, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> Just going to get a little dollop of red on my nostril. I want to know why he yeah. didn't lose his eye patch. He should have lost his eye patch. No, that's the one thing that would protect your eye that's already missing. <laughs> If anything, being hit in the face with a shovel would make sure that that eye patch would not go anywhere because it would probably just push it further into his face. Oh, right. Becomes right. a more. Well, I don't even feature. know how it's connected to his face. Well, it's got a strap. Okay. <laughs> Maybe this was the second time he got the shovel to the face. That's how he lost his eye. Oh, okay. <laughs> the first one, and he said, "You know." Maybe that's why we don't really see that much damage. Maybe. Hmm. The eye patch protected him. Kind of got out in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got the old spoon protective unit. Sure. <laughs> Maybe that's why he uses a spoon as opposed to a piece of cloth or a piece of leather. Oh, yeah. That's not going to protect you from a shovel. Mm-mm. 
<laughs> nah. Speaking of weapons and protection, just for people keeping an eye on things, Iron Bar is using a Ruger Mini 14 with a rare underfolding stock. It has a 30 round magazine and a barrel vent, and it's chambered for 5.56 millimeter ammunition. Ah. Well, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to make sure I got that little wow. factoid in there. That's good. Wow. How did you even have time to, to look at the Oh, no, there, there's the picture of it. Got it. <laughs> wow. That was a... You know, for one weapon, that's a lot of words. <laughs> they got a lot of little customizable bits on there. They like to take their standard equipment and tweak it from time to time. <laughs> so Iron Bar, upon seeing Eye Patch Guard knocked out, he swings that Ruger Mini 14 up towards Pig Killer, and Pig Killer shouts, Hold it! Stop! Don't shoot! And Iron Bar lowers his rifle, little confused. Yeah. I don't see why he should be hesitating at all. Mm-mm. Just because someone says stop doesn't mean you have to, especially when you're in charge of Underworld and it's just a poop shoveling slave telling you to stop. But he does. Yeah. And it's here that Pig Killer utters a line that has been uttered many times before and will continue to be uttered many times since. He says, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. I actually think that his, his you know, because Pig Killer is kind of deranged, he pulls this off exceptionally well mm -hmm. i mean he screams yeah i understand he's he's a prisoner and he's sort of the lowest of the low at this point but god his hold on is so arresting mm -hmm. and and even somebody is as you know steely cold as ice as a iron bar might you know stop for a second it, it he just screams it. he doesn't go hold on you know what I mean? He he screams it, and it's 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 a little shocking. You know, you go, okay, well, well all right, all right. What am I missing here? Go ahead. <laughs> like you know, I, I'm I'm not sure. He's not. You know, you're gonna be like, he might have a good point. Like maybe he's holding dynamite, or maybe I'm standing on dynamite, or uh, you know, I mean, I, there's there might be something I haven't thought of here. I think it's very effective. And this has been such an odd few minutes for Iron Bar. Yeah, he was just sitting around. Everything was normal and quiet, and he was playing games with his buddies. And all of a sudden, there are children everywhere. Yeah, they're yeah. swinging around mm -hmm. on chains. And people are dropping like flies. Mm -hmm. Everything just all of a sudden went completely weird. Yeah. So, heck, why not stop now? Things can just get weirder for Iron Bar. <laughs> Although he's kind of smiling. He doesn't look worried. He definitely looks in control with his gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're right. It is weird. I think maybe he's putting a lot of stock in the fact that he has a firearm and he doesn't think or doesn't know if anybody else has a firearm. No one has shot one yet, so he probably feels pretty safe. As he should. And under normal circumstances, yeah, probably the guy with the gun is probably in the best position. But this is a movie where the guy with the gun can't actually hit anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So that kind of, of takes not. away his only advantage. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see him feeling pretty confident. Hmm. And he, he does wait to hear the little, the little uh, you know, philosophical quip. Yeah. And uh, I, he contemplates it for one second. I understand it may be one second too long, but he was receptive. And I think that goes to show you, you know, he's not beyond, I mean, he's, I, Iron Bar isn't crazy. <laughs> he may have made the wrong uh, decision here, but, uh, you know, he's, he's, 
he he's he's a smart fellow. Yeah, and he might actually be a student of the classics. I mean, this statement here, this bit of wisdom. <laughs> yes, it was prominently featured in the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, which released <laughs> right. a year earlier. Actually, it was only eleven months earlier in the United States that mm. Buckaroo Banzai released. But it's often attributed to Confucius, who was born in 551 BC. Hmm. But then again, a lot of things are attributed to Confucius. So it's like, assume it came from him, but you know, it might have been Confucius's neighbor and he stole it. I don't know. <laughs> sure. The important thing is people hear that statement and they're like, oh yeah, Confucius. Hmm. Now, what's interesting is that nearly 2,000 years later, the phrase popped up again in Thomas A. Kempis's Imitation of Christ, which was written circa 1440 AD. And he talks about the burden of the cross. It's always ready and waits for you everywhere. You cannot escape it. And at the very end of the statement, he says, wherever you go, there you are, huh. which is like word for word what we're talking about. Yeah. And it keeps popping up all over the place. And probably one of the things that helped get it back into the modern rotation back in the 1950s, the beatnik and hippie movements as they were exploding with influence and whatnot. There was a guy named Richard Lord Buckley, and he had a monologue that he would perform. And at the very end of it, he cites Confucius with more or less that saying, if you get to it and you can't do it, there you jolly well are, aren't you? Which is more or less the same thing. And so as it's infused in and out of culture, I mean, it crops up all over the place. Like in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the Starship Excelsior's bridge dedication plaque has this saying on it. Oh, you're kidding. There's a Canadian country singer oh. named Clint Black who has a single called Wherever You Go that uses the saying as part of the chorus. And even in places like Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, Felicity and Austin say at one point, no matter where we go, there we are. <laughs> I had no idea that this had bounced around the world in so many centuries. It's very versatile. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Well, now, does, does Pig Killer uh, say it just to get Iron Bar to stop exactly at that location? Is that what he does? Does, does he kind of just wait and then, you know, he, he knows. I mean, he's been down there for who knows how long and prisoned. So he would know exactly where this grain slide or shoot is going to land. Mm -hmm. So I guess he's just up there sort of being silent until he sees that, you know, uh, Iron Bar hits, you know, the, the old X marks the spot. Yeah. So him yelling, hold it, maybe not so much hold it, don't shoot, more just hold it, stay where you are. And then he just reiterates that no matter where you go, there you are. And the phrase there you are is the signal for master to pull a lever, mm. which he does. Mm -hmm. And then this just big old metal feed chute drops from the ceiling and we get this lovely quick series of shots where Iron Bar is dropping and looking up and we get a quick zoom on his face where he's screaming. And this feed shoot just connects with him and you can see it bend and flex as it swats him down onto the ground like a bug. <laughs> <laughs> is this the second time that Iron Bar has been taken out and then just pops back into existence or has it happened more than twice well the first time was him getting thrown out of the penthouse mm -hmm. and then he caught on something and climbed back up and he was very much i'd say unmolested all throughout the following scenes until max was exiled and so this is really the next time we're really seeing him interact with people 
So you could say that if he is a cat with nine lives, this shoot smacking him on the head and knocking him down is him cashing in his second life. Okay. Throughout the movie, he really does take some wallops. <laughs> and yeah, and you, you kind of go, hey, that's the last we've seen of Iron Bar here. But um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. He seems to uh, resurrect <laughs> with uh, renewed screams and vigor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a resiliency about him. <laughs> yes, yes. One that, yeah, again, uh, I, I think is is interesting because uh, you know he, you see him as more. You know, he's he, he's a smaller fellow uh, just in terms of stature, but but yeah, I, I actually like that about him. Yeah. So is it the fact that he's got a lower sense of gravity? Is that what we can attribute his longevity to? He's compact, very dense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, he, um, I don't know, he doesn't seem to take, uh, he doesn't seem to take, uh, no for an answer when it comes to, you know, death. Or maybe the answer is yes. He doesn't take yes for an answer when it comes to death. <laughs> he's kind of, he's, he's just like, you know, no, that's not my number. You know, and death keeps showing up. I, I have your number. He's like, it's not my number. Move along. <laughs> I, I think you're mistaken, death. Yeah. You know, we see that in the towards the end of the movie for sure. Yeah, as far as using up his lives go, we are just getting started. Oh, absolutely. It's just like ramping up. Yeah. They do a lot to him. <laughs> 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 you know, I did have a question for you guys. I know I know we're on the, the, the at the end of the week here. Why is this movie called Beyond Thunderdome? I mean, I, I understand we have the Thunderdome and then we have some stuff that takes place afterwards. <laughs> but, why, but why, I mean, why is it Beyond Thunderdome? I think it's Beyond Thunderdome because we are presented with this post-apocalyptic society of Bartertown that Thunderdome is a central piece to their culture and their society. It's their entertainment. It's the way they settle disputes. It's a large part of their law. But it's not sophisticated. It's not civilized. Mm -hmm. It's stagnant. It, it's not progressing the society at all. It's not where humans need to be going. So it's like the societal equivalent of chicken nuggets. Hmm? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yes. But there are people in this movie, and not necessarily Max. Max just coasts around, bounces from place to place. Mostly it's the waiting ones who want more, who want a society where there is sophistication and progress and are willing to give up their relatively comfortable, stagnant society to try and attain something better. So instead of chicken nuggets, they want... Maybe a grilled chicken breast on a nice bed of rice. Brown rice. Yeah. They yes. need to get beyond Thunderdome <laughs> beyond to something better. Nugget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could argue that they don't necessarily need a hero. They just need life beyond Thunderdome. They need life beyond these archaic and frankly modeled after a failed system ideas. They need to progress and flex and grow. I think getting beyond Thunderdome is not just physically moving beyond Thunderdome like we do later on in this movie when they get things rolling a little bit because we do eventually move beyond Thunderdome but it's also a, a mindset that you need to place yourself in. Well it's interesting it's 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 not called Beyond Barter Town. You know it's it's like, I guess the defining 
thing is is Thunderdome. But what's fascinating is that's just, you know, this, it's a great scene in the movie, mm-hmm. but it, it's really only, I don't even know, like eight minutes or something? Yeah. Six minutes of the movie? Yeah, six minutes of the movie. And, and it never... We never, you know, uh, yeah, of course. I know we don't return to Thunderdome because we're beyond it. (laughs) It's just interesting. It never, it it never comes up again or anything about it. And I I agree that it's not sophisticated. But there is one rule of Thunderdome that's interesting. They they and, and they sort of explain this clearly to Max. They say it's a fair fight, right? You know, that's that's very important to them that it's a fair fight. And I think. The idea of a fair fight probably is one of the most sophisticated aspects of their society. Yes, that's a great point. And and you're right. Like, that's revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, in human history, so much time has been spent not having fair fights. Even now, when we're supposed to be this modern society, a lot of people spend their lives fighting unfair fights. Sure. Well, and also, you know, if you break a deal, you get the wheel. And you're like, okay, well, um, I don't know. I guess the fact that it's arbitrary could, could you know, drive you nuts. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you're, you're not subjected to the whims of uh, a despot or, or of the executioner. Mm-hmm. You know, you, everybody gets the wheel. Right, right. But there is something... Um, that's that's why I was asking uh, earlier in the week, uh, you know, if if uh, you know, anti. I don't know if she's a despot. They do have rules in place, and and yes, she bends them, and it's kind of not cool. They have a deal, you know, and she's like, you can't speak of the deal. So she's you know breaking the code there, which isn't cool. But um, other than that, they do seem to to pay attention to and have respect for the 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 simple and albeit crude rules. Yeah. They're operating at a level that they're comfortable with. It's not the level that they should be operating at. Like, ideally, Auntie would have set up some sort of Magna Carta or constitution or something like that in order to set in place a rigid set of laws that govern everybody. But all she really did was just think up some fun couplets. (laughs) Two men enter, one man leave, break a deal, face the wheel. They're very simple. They're very catchy. She has catchphrases. She doesn't have laws. Well, let's be clear, man. The, the, the Thomas Edison of the whole bunch speaks like, in three second, squeeze. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, not so good. <laughs> he says, master say. You know, you're like, well, <laughs> couplets are pretty advanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the supposed smartest person in town speaks <laughs> simplified English, cutting out words here and there, almost in a Yoda-like manner. Yeah. When he really doesn't need to, it kind of shows you what kind of class of people They also seem with. a little puzzled by the uh, concept of thunder. I get the dome. I don't see any thunder. <laughs> I don't know where they got that particularly. It's kind of poetic, but there ain't nothing Thunderdome about that dome. If you want to get technical, thunder is never really seen. Yeah. But it's definitely heard and felt. Okay. You could argue that they call it the Thunderdome because of the thunderous sound of people chanting and banging on the dome and carrying on and making noise. It's a rumble. It's like when uh, soccer fans are watching their team win and they 
stomp and cheer and carry on so much that the local, you know, <laughs> university starts registering seismic activity. I would actually see that as other dome a little more than their wicker beehive that they've got. But okay, I gotcha. I hear you. It's probably a good thing that they didn't call it the lightning dome because that would in that all of the fights happen at such a fast pace that they can't really be enjoyed. No, okay. Thunderdome is for entertainment. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, true. And they, they didn't have it, uh, you know, Mad Max, uh, the up-and-coming generation is not satisfied with Thunderdome. We'd like something more from society. Yeah. Dome. That didn't <laughs> dome. <laughs> I, it, one other question I had, and this, one's, this one was a little tough when I saw this. I, I had to pause. The gyro captain, right? We all know. The gyro captain obviously steals, he steals Max's camels and belongings. He's, he's one of the first things we see in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, then, you know, you discover, you know, first I'm thinking, why is the gyro captain stealing Max's, all his belongings? But then you find out he's not, you know, the gyro captain. He's a different character played right. by the same actor. Mm-hmm. Right. That that was a little unsettling for me. It's very Sergio Leone feeling. Mm. Very spaghetti western in that way. Because everything about that character is gyro captain esque. Well, <laughs> like all the like even at the end, and you know how he he kind of goes like it's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. He kind of goes, "There's not enough runway," and he goes. <laughs> Run way from here to the, and he kind of uses his his thumb and his finger mm-hmm. <laughs> to explain what the runway is, <laughs> and you're like, it's you know, it's you're like that's exactly out of the the gyro captain. That's what he would do. You know, it's a, they're, they're a click away from going. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Bruce Spence. And I like him in the Jedediah role, but I think the choice of casting him did introduce that confusion of, is this supposed to be the gyro captain? Mm -hmm. And when you're watching the movie and, you know, by the time you're done with the movie, you know it's not. Mm -hmm. But it's always a question you have when you see Bruce Spence pop up in the beginning. You're like, oh, wait, what? The gyro captain's got a son now? Right. And it just introduces a confusion that's really not necessary. True. Yeah. And I think he's amazing in the role. Uh-huh. But, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's confusing. And it could have so easily been avoided. I think the situation that arose was that George Miller was trying to find someone else to fit into that role. And just the more people he talked to and auditioned, the more and more he just thought, you know, I could just get Bruce back. Mm-hmm. Because Bruce already has that chemistry with Mel Gibson from the second movie. And when they have their interactions, when Max is running through the dugout caves and he finds the pilot, and when they're sitting out on that runway that's too short and Max and him are interacting, they have this really good connection between the two of them that just works in these high-stress situations. I absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it just makes me really just love Bruce Spence. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to go out and find more stuff that he's in. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even when we've seen him in non-Mad Max related things, we watched him in the movie Where the Green Ants Dream. Mm-hmm. 
And that was a very different movie. It was. Than Mad Max, <laughs> mostly because of the director. But Bruce Spence was just as good in that as anything else I've seen him in. He was delightful in that movie. So one question that really has me scratching my head, as all of these kids and Max are sliding down this feed chute, they land and they are in just a giant pile of feed. And one thing that we never were able to figure out, and one thing that still baffles me, is where they're getting all of this pig feed. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wondered that. Well, the the screenplay novelization sort of answers that. Yeah. So cutting back a little bit to when they were originally crawling into the pipe, Anna Goanna took a turn at one point that nobody else took. Everybody else went straight. She went exploring because she's Anna and she's a bit more precocious than some of the others. Max pulled her back to keep them all together and they continued on towards the grate and mayhem ensues. So as Max is starting to get the kids to come back into the pipe and they're running from Iron Bar and his gun, they actually duck into that same side tube. And that side tube is what connects around and like over the roof of the cavern and then spills into the feed chute. Mm -hmm. So that tube that they took to the side led into the feed storage area and then into the chute. Okay, so they have a big stockpile of it. Yes. Huh. And that's probably also what those ventilation tubes are doing, because you have to keep the feed well ventilated so that it doesn't go bad. Hmm. So this is an old store of old feed. It must be. Because we're not farming, right? Yeah. I don't think any of the land around Bartertown has been developed to the point, or is at the point where it could sustain that much grain. Mm. Right. Now they do say, let me find it real quick just to make sure. Yes, that it was dried beans. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's going to last a good long time then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure it could be dried beans from before the apocalypse, although it's been, what, like 20 years? Yeah. We guess, more or less. Since the bombs fell, I mean, do dried beans stored probably not properly last that long? This is where I show off my ignorance that I'm not quite sure how beans are grown <laughs> or, or anything like that. Or do you think these are beans that were farmed and dried for the purpose of feeding the pigs? Where they would get farmland for beans. Right. I mean, what's interesting to me is it is called barter town. It's not called Agritown. Right. So, so they, they traded for feed. Yeah, it's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I just sort of think, you know, it, it sounds like everything is sort of already made. Yeah. Like they're not growing things. It's like, you know, may, maybe it is, it's a silo or an underground uh, warehouse mm -hmm. or underground silo of beans, a storehouse of beans that they discovered or something like that. Okay. That makes sense. It could also just be someone growing it somewhere. I'm looking at the page for bean cultivation on Wikipedia, my perennial source for information. <laughs> and it says that beans are a summer crop that need warm temperatures to grow, and maturity is typically 55 to 60 days from planting to harvest. As the bean pods mature, they turn yellow and dry up, and the beans inside change from green to their mature color. As a vine, bean plants need external support, which may be provided in the form of special bean cages or poles or strings or whatever you need. Native Americans specifically 
grew them along with corn and squash and the so-called three sisters with the tall corn stalks acting as support for the beans. In more recent times, the so-called bean bush has been developed, which does not require support and has all of its pods developed simultaneously as opposed to bean poles, which develop gradually. And that makes the bush bean more practical for commercial purposes. Hmm. Sounds pretty sophisticated for this group. Yeah. It could be, though, that someone just has a nice little bean growing setup somewhere in a warm field with a source of water, and they just go through and have just big old fields of beans. Bunch of beans. Yeah. You dry them out, you bring them over to Barter Town, you get all the stuff you need from that, and mm-hmm. there you go. Someone who has a green thumb. <laughs> but it's nice to know that we're dealing with something that's not massive amounts of grain like I originally thought they were, because that would be a whole other cultiva- cultivation situation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> did you like the 80s music? I feel like the music did a really good job of keeping the energy up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was good yeah. tension and whatnot. I-, I noticed a lot of the music actually had odd time signatures. Oh, yeah? Which is really cool. It's a little disjointed and... Yeah, it's just a little disjointed and disjunct. It, it, you know, it makes you go, huh, there must have been an apocalypse somewhere around. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of nice. There was a moment on Monday's Minute where I really did not like the music. It was when Eddie walked up to Pig Killer and Pig Killer like smiled at him and pointed at him. The music seemed so off kilter and made me feel uncomfortable I, I really didn't like that scene and mostly because of the music hmm. yeah I definitely think that scene was better handled with a little bit of text behind it yeah yeah I think so well we don't need another hero is 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 yeah I was gonna say that's not really one of those 80s songs you hear very often that that uh, you know that that Tina Turner classic yeah no it doesn't get a lot of radio play in that genre not really yeah I mean it was huge huge hit when it came out it was. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was a kid hearing it on the radio. All the time. All the time. And it actually didn't dawn on me until we started reviewing Mad Max that that song is so specifically about that movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's a little bit slower. It's not quite as upbeat and high energy as One of the Living, which is the song that started this movie. Yeah. We Don't Need Another Hero definitely fits better into the ballad of the end credits right it also goes along with being more a a, more of a commercial movie you know it's a reflection of oh they have a bigger budget and Mm -hmm. bigger stars absolutely i'm just glad they got their money's worth out of tina turner and got two songs out of her (laughs) (laughs) they did i just discovered something about bruce spence And I can't remember if we discussed this before. I don't think we did. I was looking at other movies he was in, and he was in Star Wars Episode 3. Yeah. Did we talk about that? I believe so. Okay. Wow. Came as a surprise to me. (laughs) I did not remember talking about that before. I remember mentioning him. He was the corduroy face that Obi-Wan met. Mm -hmm. The really tall gray alien dressed in red. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I think we've gone around and around and here we are at the end of the minute we're all sitting in a giant pile of beans after taking <laughs> out iron bar fair enough jerry is there anything you'd like to plug here at the end of the week uh sure i i would say uh that uh, you know for those who like the movie by minute discussions where you beat movies to death and hold them up <laughs> hold them up for everybody to see and 
you know, we spin spin the wheel to see what's going to happen. Uh, I would uh, invite everybody to come over to the Indiana Jones Minute, um, which uh, we discussed the Indiana Jones movies. We've we were just kind of a little bit over halfway through the Last Crusade, and we're definitely going to be doing uh, the Crystal Skull. <laughs> so a lot of episodes done and and completed, and uh, you know we're a lot of episodes ended basically sitting in a big pile of pig feed <laughs> so <laughs> it's a lot of fun it's actually a lot of fun and we have a facebook group too called the indiana jones minute listeners crusade and that's a lot of fun too absolutely if you can spare the time in your day go out and download just as many episodes of the indiana jones minute as you can like max out the storage on your device just go and do it <laughs> so many backlog stuff that you can get on there. And th- and that's how we met you guys and and a lot of other people in this this um, movie by minute podcast world. It's it's actually been great. It's really been a lot of fun. As for us, we are putting a pin in this until Monday. We're going to come back next week. Max and Pig Killer are going to have their reunion where they get to see each other for the first time in a while. But the party will be interrupted by the arrival of Blackfinger who doesn't take kindly to the idea of all the guards being knocked out. So that's what we have to look forward to next week. But if you feel like joining us on our weekend show through Patreon, it's only three bucks a month to get access to that. We are in week 26 of Hook. With the evil in Neverland defeated, Peter will send Jack and Maggie home and then go about the tricky task of appointing a new leader to keep an eye on things while he's gone. Once that's done, it's straight back to London where it seems that all of this took place in the span of one night. It's very Dickensian Christmas Carol-esque the way they wrap up Hook. So join us on the weekend show for that. If not, we'll see you on Monday for more shenanigans in Underworld. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 78 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody say-